a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Back Rebels and Imperials, the Force goes coast to coast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Liz and Matt. When you are hearing this, the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus will be released, but we are recording this beforehand. And to sort of uh, prime the pump, get us ready for Obi-Wan Kenobi, we decided to go back and watch Ewan McGregor's three prior performances as Obi-Wan in the Star Wars prequels and talk about not necessarily the prequel films, but sort of Obi-Wan's role in them, McGregor's performance as Obi-Wan in them, and um, just sort of, you know, get ready for the show in that way. So because we decided this a little bit last minute, each of us took a different prequel to watch, and we figured we'd report back to the crew. Um, I had watched episode one uh, over the weekend I was doing laundry, and so I watched that one, even though I didn't have to, and I was going to try to watch all of episode three, but I only got through about the first half of episode three. But I watched all of Attack of the Clones because that was my assignment. And uh, as Matt and Liz both said off air last week, they know I'm being honest with them about other things in my life. If I voluntarily took uh, or if, if I told the truth about our randomizing the numbers mm-hmm. and me getting Attack of the Clones. So, um, yeah, that's that's how, you know, I'm serious about this. Um, anyway, Matt, you had the Phantom Menace. I so, did. So uh, this is the movie that Obi-Wan is probably in the least. I'm not probably. Definitely he's in it the least. Um, um, yeah, pro- probably. Probably. He, yeah, he has no individual story arc in this. Right. And, and, and there's a large chunk in the middle of the movie where they cut to him a few times on the ship. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, during the whole pod race, the whole time on Tatooine, he never leaves the ship, whereas Qui-Gon and Padme... And, you know, go off and do their thing for a while. Um, so yeah, so Matt, tell us, tell us about about you and McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi in Episode One, The Phantom Menace. So he, this is where we see a really interesting, like naive um, Obi Wan. He is, he kind of has that honestly very Luke feeling, um, little bitchiness to him, where. He kind of whines a lot to Qui-Gon. Um, a lot of, but Master Yoda says this, Master Yoda says that. Um, so that's really interesting to see. Um, in a wider discussion, w- watching it again, this makes actually a pretty good foil to um, the first episode of the sequel trilogy. So, Or not sequel trilogy, the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I digress. But a lot of it is seeing him... <clears throat> try and wrestle this idea of his very rigid views coming out of the Jedi, I guess, training program. Um, but wrestling with Qui-Gon, who has a very fast and loose idea of what the rules of a Jedi are. Where Qui-Gon really represents believing in the overall idea of the Force, but... Obi-Wan is very much in the rules and regulations, the letter of the law from the Jedi Order. Um, And we see him really struggle with that through a lot of the uh, film in ways that I don't think I realized before watching a deep dive into it. And then as much as this 
whole movie is a bunch of a nothing sandwich. The very end, see him seeing his master killed and seeing him essentially lose control in a lot of ways um, and taking on the apprentice of Anakin is a really, really defining moment in his life, in his story, and I guess in the whole arc. So I think that was pretty interesting too. So, but I think I don't want to go too, too, too deep because I think a lot of it plays into a push and pull. We're going to see through the other two movies, this idea of is Obi-Wan a believer in the force and the like idea of Jedi's or is he in support of the institution of the Jedi? And I think his wrestling with that is something he continues to wrestle with until he meets Luke. Um, so I think seeing it through that lens has been really interesting for me. So it, it's it's really interesting that you say that because that is one of the takeaways that I took from the second movie as well, actually. The, the sort of um, institutionalist Obi-Wan. But... You know, I, it, it's really interesting to me to compare him to Qui-Gon Jinn because I think we are conditioned because we see how everything ends, both in terms of their stories and in terms of the sort of you know, each of the three trilogies and the sort of Skywalker saga in general, all that. We know the Jedi are a less than like are, are are a less than perfect organization, right? But I also think that for for someone like Obi-Wan, it must have been very, very hard for him to hear that somebody believed in the force but not in the Jedi. Like for instance, I think that if you try to, you know, there are lots of people in the world today, uh, many, you know, people I am, I am not saying this as a, um, as a criticism of this position, but you'll hear lots of people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, right? And that is kind of the Qui-Gon Jinn position here, um, where like, he is he cares more about what the force is and how the force relates to him than he does about the institutional body of the Jedi order. However, for someone who was raised in that Jedi order and Obi-Wan is the only character that we really see go through the training process of a Jedi, like completely. We mm -hmm. see him when he's a Padawan, then he becomes a Jedi Knight, he becomes a Jedi master, whatever. And like we see Anakin's is all messed up. He doesn't go in as young as he should. Luke doesn't go in as young as he should. So Anakin and Luke have this sort of built in cynicism as well because it's not, it hasn't been indoctrinated into them since they were, you know, literal, ch very small children. And so I, I think for Obi-Wan, this is, this is the equivalent of when he sees Qui-Gon Jinn pushing against that, he's having essentially a, a, a crisis of faith through an intermediary like he is he can't deal with Qui-Gon Jinn's view of the world because it's so different than his own I think so I think so too and what I think 
evolves a bit and where we see some of this kind of warming of Obi-Wan in a way that we really don't see with Qui-Gon and only watching it very intently, Qui-Gon's very much a dick. He not only believes in the Force and what it can do for him, but he does not care about anyone else around him. Like, even when he rescues Anakin, it is only because he thinks that Anakin is a piece to this Force prophecy puzzle. There, right. We've spoken about this before. There is no reason he couldn't save the mother as well. Right. Even if he just said, oh, she's just going to walk with us to the ship and then puts her on the ship and yeah. flies away. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to stop them? You're, you're a space wizard. Who is stopping you? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, but his lack of caring about anything other than his aims because they are tied to the force and inherently then are promoting his greater good is something that kind of crumbles with Obi-Wan. I think part of it is that relationship between him and Anakin where he takes on Anakin as an apprentice because he is fulfilling the final wish of his master. Mm -hmm. But even though we see... Obi-Wan, you know, thinking that Anakin, you know, he is going to bring balance to the force, blah, blah, blah. It's so much more than that. He really does come to love him. And I think that gives him a much more grounded idea of life outside of the force than the Jedi that we then see Luke take on. Right. And the idea that it's not detachment that makes you strong. It is through managing those attachments that we can find strength. Right. Um, Liz, any thoughts on, on the, the Anakin of the first two movies, I'm sorry, on the Obi-Wan of the first two movies through our sort of discussion of it? Um, honestly, I think you covered it and I haven't seen them in, in some time. <laughs> yeah. Um, th there's definitely a, um, there, there, there is definitely a, a sense of, I think in the Phantom Menace that Obi-Wan is struggling with watching a mentor buck against the system in attack of the clones. He is now like firmly rooted in this system. He is, um, you know, he has a Padawan well, obviously is Anakin and, and, uh, you know, he, he's never really questioning anything the Jedi are doing, but you also see him you see him push really hard against Anakin stepping out of line at all like there's a scene where um Anakin says to Padme we're not just going to protect you we're going to catch the person who's trying to kill you and Obi-Wan basically says no we're not we are here to do one job you need to know your place young one and it comes off as really, really harsh uh, in the scene because he's sort of scolding Anakin in front of Padme and in front of, I think, Jar Jar is maybe in the room at that point, too. It's like these, these old friends that Obi-Wan's kind of pulling rank against. But you get the sense that this is the relationship that they have, that Anakin is constantly trying to do more than what the Jedi prescribe, and Obi-Wan is pulling him back on that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because... I. 
I really did not think too long and hard about this, but I really felt like there was a um I always felt like Obi-Wan was like the compassionate one of the Jedi Order after Qui-Gon's death. But we don't really see a lot of that in Attack of the Clones at all. Uh, this is sort of the worst Obi-Wan that we see. This is him yeah. at his most, like, uh, you know, um, most of a foot soldier of a, of a bigger organization. Uh, he, he's, he's beholden to the Order to a fault. Um, he's also, but, but then again, I have to say, there are also moments where you see that compassion kick in. Like, for instance... He says to Padme, we're not going to catch your assassins. We're just going to protect you. But then when that drone is hanging outside of the uh, of her window, he jumps through the window to grab onto it. So, like, clearly he doesn't necessarily believe what he's saying. And mm -hmm. I think that, that I think that's very much a piece of being uh, – and Liz, I'm sure, could speak to this far more than I could. But being a teacher in some ways is, like, when you have a lesson to teach – it almost doesn't matter if you agree with the lesson. If your job is to teach the lesson, you have to do that. Uh, does mm -hmm. that ring true, Liz, or no? Uh, it it does, yes. Um, you know, I, I just think of, like, you know, somebody once told me that, like, the job of anyone who's trying to get across a message is that you have to throw 100% of it at the wall and hope that half of it sticks, right? So, mm -hmm. so maybe Obi Wan is is being this rigid because he knows that Anakin needs that rigidity, and that he doesn't necessarily believe the hundred percent of it, but he believes enough of it to, you know, to uh, to to put to to put that out there and hope that Obi Wan, the hope that Anakin takes what he needs to from it. Mm -hmm. Um, but we also in this movie, well, my part of this movie I don't enjoy as much. I mean, this this is the worst movie of the prequel trilogy like by a very, very large margin for me, is that we eliminate all of the playfulness of Obi-Wan. Mm. The only time we really see him smile in this movie is when he's at Dex's diner about to drink some Jawa juice, which is one of the worst <laughs> scenes in, in film history. But otherwise, you know, he has his, his Yacht Rock haircut. He looks like he's a member of the Doobie Brothers in this movie. And... Um, you know, he's just he's he's scolding Anakin and then he's on Camino, which actually I think some of the best parts of the movie when he's like investigating the clones and all of that. But none of that is playful and fun at all. And then they're on Geonosis and that part is just like 50 minutes of CGI with almost mm -hmm. no human beings in it. And he's not playful at all in that. And in the first like five minutes of Revenge of the Sith. And in the first five minutes of The Phantom Menace, we see a really charming Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan has a line I always think about in the beginning of The Phantom Menace where he says to Qui-Gon, you, you were right about one thing. The negotiations were short. And he's like, he's making a joke. And he's, mm -hmm. he's and it's like a funny little moment. And then in Attack of the Clones, I mean, not Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, they're in their starfighters and they're like teasing each other. You see this warmth in Obi-Wan that is totally absent from the second film. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something I definitely noticed, you know, in Revenge of the Sith is just, it, you know, it's an Obi-Wan that is personable. Mm -hmm. A lot of one-liners. And I wonder how much of that is just him being more, con like, if we're looking for an in-story reason, the real reason is that probably the script was just better for Revenge of the Sith. Um, Possibly. You know, but 
you know, is he more is he more confident? Is he is he less beholden to the Jedi rules because they're in this state of of war and so everything's well, a little bit he, looser? Yeah. He's also not a teacher anymore. His well, student I mean, now has cool. his own student that he loves is a pain in the ass to hit the student that was a pain in the ass to him. Right. Well, that's what I was going to mention, too, is even if Anakin is still Obi-Wan's student and, you know, they still sort of have this relationship that's like master mentor. And there are multiple times where Obi-Wan mentions that, you know, he sees Anakin as a brother, which adds a whole other element to their relationship Mm -hmm. here. Um, You know, I, I feel like when I when I teach high school, I can joke around with my students when I taught elementary school kids, you know, in the summer, it was a little different. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that has to do with it as well. There are, you know, a myriad of reasons why it could be, and it could just be script, um, level of comfort with acting and such. But what's really interesting about that, Liz, is that in the second movie, Obi-Wan says a number of times, I'm sorry, Anakin says that Obi-Wan is like a father to him, hmm. but Obi-Wan says that Anakin took a brother to him. And yeah. I find that difference of title actually really interesting. Well, that is interesting. I wonder... Yeah, because yeah, Obi-Wan says it at, like, crucial times. Right. Um, yeah, in Revenge of the Sith. Hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's the, the Filoni yes. um, explanation of wanting to have a brother but having instead a father figure like it's a very very messy uh, i mean a lot of star wars is very messy um male relationships that end up in the death of millions right so. yes <laughs> <laughs> that is true yeah. Toxic oh, masculinity in the galaxy far here, far away. here's a key question do we think part of the formative nature of that whole fight with darth maul it's also one of the few times we see like a legitimate hand-to-hand killing of another human being um, in Star Wars. Um, Unless you're you talking think about that's Anakin. The first time... Yeah, well, all, yeah, off-screen children left and right. Um, <laughs> do we think that's the first time that Obi-Wan's ever had to kill anyone? Because we were not in a combat zone Jedi order at that point. Like I'm, I got the feeling that when Maul showed up and they had to fight, that might be one of the first actual combats he's been in, and in that combat he saw his master struck down and cut a dude in half. I mean, that's, like that's that, that makes sense jarring. to me. Yeah. Um, especially because like with with uh, Anakin, even with when he kills Count Dooku in Revenge of the Sith. He knows, like he says, it's not the Jedi way to kill. So even mm-hmm. if Obi Wan w- would have been in tense situations, I-, I think it probably is his first time having to kill someone. Yeah, because I think that, and that's something that makes this is off topic a little bit, but I think that that right there is what makes it interesting. The difference between like Obi Wan and um, Kanan, because Kanan was a Jedi that came up on that war footing. Mm-hmm. All he knows is the Jedi way being killing. But right. yeah, Anakin is being taught by someone who was a negotiator, not a warrior for most of his life. So that, yeah. That I is think really it's that, and you've talked about that idea, that is what is transferred 
into Luke is this idea that victory does not equal killing your opponent. That you're the greatest victories are not won through blood, um, but through self-sacrifice, through strength, through caring. Um, yeah, that's, and I think we see that a little bit. Yeah, just this idea of, like, there being a, um, very much a, uh, an emphasis put on solving things in a nonviolent way, right? Um, that is very much Luke's way. And I wonder how much of that comes from Obi the way Obi-Wan taught him, or just that, again, like, Luke is this farm boy who never had to kill anybody. And so he maybe maybe he just doesn't have the stomach for it. Mm-hmm. That's true too. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we see Anakin murder people immediately on screen. He blows up an entire ship. So he true. he's killing from a young age. But yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. Liz, what were well, you guys about to say? Yeah, not to jump to you know the very end, but when Obi Wan kills Anakin and I mean I've seen it before but it, the way he kills him is brutal and then even when I was watching it this time I don't know why I haven't really thought of it before Anakin is engulfed in flames and Obi-Wan just walks away and yeah it, and, and he's obviously not dead so he's just laying there suffering he doesn't you know kindly kill him so he doesn't have to suffer he just leaves him there which sort of negates all of those you know all of those things i, I don't know which, i i, I definitely, and then he lie he lies to his son about it well i mean the lying to his son bits a whole other story right yeah. um but my question to you liz like do you think that maybe the reason he doesn't do that is because he can't do that yeah and i think that's a good question and a good point and i yeah you know he says to him you know at that point you know you're my brother um you know at a certain point uh, yeah and i think that's a good point it's very possible I just but again know. i you know sometimes I, if you care about someone that much you have to do the tough things i don't know right but i mean the other thing is like when we think about just and again this is taking it a bit far in one direction but when we think about Jedi in general, they're taught to have no attachments. They don't know how to do the tough thing because they yeah. don't have those relationships with people. Yeah, like they they don't they don't even have the the train. Like I feel like every one of us, uh, you know, all of us grew up with siblings, and like you, there are certain things that you just know you have to do for the benefit of your younger sibling. At times, you may not like it, you just, <laughs> but you have to do it, right? These people were raised in a world where that I don't think was ever really a consideration. You know, they're just it was just the world was just different for them. Uh so I mm -hmm. don't know. I don't know. It, it's an excellent question though. I am I am really interested in the question of Well, you know, I'm gonna save that for the end of our conversation. Let's start with okay. talking about you and McGregor for a minute. Uh with focusing on him this watch through how do we feel about you mcgregor's performance as obi-wan kenobi 
Well, I mean, I guess I'll start. I, I, I enjoy him in Revenge of the Sith. It's been a while. I think the last time we watched the prequels is the last time I watched them. I think that might have been almost two years ago. I want to say we watched it maybe in the run-up to The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Which would have been 2019. Yeah. So um, three years I, ago, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like him as uh, Obi-Wan. I, I feel like he is a bright spot in the prequels for me. Um, and especially in this movie, like we were saying before, um, he's got a lot of one-liners, um, you know, another happy landing. I, mm-hmm. you know, I made note of the um, points that everyone generally remembers, like, hello there. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the tough ones, like, I have the high ground. Yeah. You know, and I feel like the things we remember about Obi-Wan from these movies perhaps are the good things, not the bad things, like perhaps um, Jar Jar. Um, <laughs> but I, I think Ewan McGregor is generally a good actor, and out of all of the actors in the prequels, um, perhaps he was, um, we got a decent performance out of him. I'm trying to think of some other actors that were maybe... Um, just as good, but I, 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 I like Ewan McGregor. A lot of the actors that are good, we don't get as much time with. Like I think yeah. Christopher Lee is pretty good as Count Correct. Dooku, but we yes. don't get a lot of time with him. Um, you, uh, you, not me, you uh, Liam Neeson is very good as Qui Gon, but we don't get a lot of time with him, right? Yeah. So, like this is uh, this is definitely the most time we spend with one actor in one role. Um, you know. Uh, Matt, what did you think of of McGregor's performance in uh, episode one? I thought it was, I I don't know. I guess it's okay because he's acting like a little twerp, and that's <laughs> yeah. but that's what he's supposed to be. Yes. Um. So he does a good job of that, and I think what's most interesting is that he is recognizable as Obi Wan. As a young man, as a man in training, as a, you know, too old for this shit Jedi. Um, I think the fact that I can see him as all pieces of Obi-Wan is a testament to his skill as in this character and knowing this character. Which, to be honest, super, super hard to be a... Um, you know, young version of an iconic character. You know, ask Han Solo and Lando how right. that went over for them. Right. That's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. I wonder if... Well, hang on. I, I want to say that Alec Guinness was alive when episode one came out. Let me look this up now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he died the year after episode one came out. So... I, I was going to say maybe people were more okay with McGregor because Guinness was gone, but he wasn't when that first one mm-hmm. came out. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's an excellent question to ask, Matt. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'll say in episode two, it's my least favorite Obi-Wan of the three films, and I think that it's pretty clear when you watch it that he is um, – he probably is having the least amount of fun <laughs> playing this character too <laughs> in this movie. He just doesn't have a lot to do, There's, and he's he's isolated for so much of the movie. Like you know, after that big scene in Coruscant, he goes off to Camino and he's by himself until the very end of the movie. So, I mean, not by himself, like there's no one else on screen, but he doesn't get to play off of 
Hayden Christensen or Natalie Portman or anyone that, you know, would have been a fun person to play off of. He's playing off of CGI characters and for like five minutes, Tamara Morrison. But that's it. Yeah. Like that's, you know, the rest of it is all CGI. And mm-hmm. so um, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think it's it's pretty easy to recognize that it's not the most fun. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear McGregor talk now about Star Wars in that he was really a little bit hesitant to come back. He always loved playing Obi-Wan, but didn't love the movies that he was in. And so I, I'm I'm not surprised he came back because I thought that, you know, he's he's expressed enough interest in wanting to come back. And I'm sure that he... I know he has a producer credit on this, which I think basically means that he had some level of uh, veto power for this. You know, if there was something that he really didn't like, I'm sure he could have figured out a way to get that taken out. I'm sure that he had, you know, a little bit of story input in this because, you know, if if he walks away, this doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. There, there, yeah. There's no way that this could happen without him at this point. No, I don't I don't think so. Um yeah, no. It doesn't make sense. Unlike like you know even if some if someone I mean look they they're doing it with um what's her name uh in the Mandalorian like they're very clear that they will recast somebody if if or or just cut them out if the if the person's not working out. But you oh, cannot, Gina Carano. Gina Carano, mm-hmm. yes. But you cannot do that for for this this series. Like no, it is the whole reason this is being made is not because of the character of Obi Wan, but because of the actor playing the character of Obi Wan. Like this is this is why we're here. So I'm sure they are making lots of concessions to McGregor to make sure that he's happy here. But I do think this is probably the end for him playing this character. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Um, uh, theoretically, yes. I'll have a better answer um, in a couple of weeks because I don't know where we're ending on with with everything. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it depends on the reception of the show and um, maybe what other possibilities there are my inkling is to say this will you know would be it yeah but i think timeline wise we don't have a lot more space in between um where we've seen obi-wan on screen already you know that's a good point yeah I, i guess the the one area that maybe we could see some more stories would be like so i I guess I was under the impression that Obi-Wan got to Tatooine and then never left. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in this show that he is traveling around a little bit. So maybe there's an Obi-Wan adventure to be told on a different planet. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't help but feel like that's probably just a uh, just asking too much of this. Mm-hmm. Here's something I did not remember from... Um, the conclusion of Revenge of the Sith mm-hmm. is when Yoda uh, is talking to Obi-Wan um, and he tells Obi-Wan that, you know, uh, in his solitude on Tatooine, he has training for him. Mm-hmm. 
and involves Qui-Gon. Yeah, it, it's I, basically it's I teaching, don't remember that. It, it's like preparing him to become a force ghost eventually. Okay. All right. Right? Mm-hmm. Is, isn't that the kind of the way it's it's sort of it's sort of laid out like uh Yeah, I I I believe so. Mm-hmm. But then it, it's like um what should we call it? It's like who gets to evaporate when they die and who mm-hmm. doesn't. Right, yes. Okay, because Qui-Gon's corpse stayed on um, Naboo for quite a while as they traveled back and forth, had a ceremony to knight Obi-Wan and induct uh, Anakin, and then went back and lit him on fire. Um, so his his body hung around for a while. Mm. Yeah. Um I have a whole like theological thought about that, but it's not worth discussing because it 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 goes nowhere. But um, <laughs> you know that that is certainly. I and mean, look, all this stuff doesn't make any sense. Like I, I was just I was talking today about the the two Padme books that we've read, and I said like you know there's a lot of work done on those books to make stuff make sense years later, mm-hmm. and so I yeah. feel like that's just that's what Star Wars does, right? You you sort of you talk about something you don't know exactly how it works and then 10 years later somebody who you have nothing to do with tells you how it works and that's mm-hmm. just that's just what happens um and that's okay i suppose um so anyway any any last thoughts about mcgregor as quagon before we move no, i keep saying quagon as obi-wan uh <laughs> before we move into sort of the uh the looking f- to to what these what these movies sort of taught us or teased us about the new series? No. Um, no. So was there anything that, that y'all picked up from watching this that you think will in will influence what's going to happen next week? That's a good question. Hmm. I think for me, the I didn't understand the the logistics behind Anakin getting trained. So the idea is Anakin was too old to be allowed into the Jedi training school. Mm -hmm. So instead, um, Obi-Wan was graduated to be a Jedi Knight, not a Jedi master. Cause I guess, Jedi Masters then get voting privileges on the Jedi Council. Yes, I, um, the way I understand it, the Jedi Knight Jedi Knights are like bishops, Jedi uh, Masters like cardinals in Electric yeah. Pope. I believe that's how and, it works. I think so. Um, and that enabled Obi Wan to then take a Padawan, but the Padawan does not need to be a trained Jedi. The Padawan can, I guess, be anybody. See, I the way I read that is that the only reason that Anakin is trained is because he may be the chosen one. That, like, no one else could have rolled up and, like, yo, what's up, train me? Like, they would have <laughs> said no to anybody else except for him. I don't know. But the, the thing, the, the, the key piece is that the council said no. The count, the... Uh, Yoda outright tells Obi-Wan that they do not want him to train him. Mm -hmm. But they can't say no because it's his Padawan. That he he is 
that's something that I found very interesting. He is training Anakin in direct opposition to the um, ruling body that he clearly is indoctrinated in. Well, that was so, something. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. It just it was very interesting to see that push pull. That was something Obi Wan mentioned multiple times in this movie was just he was focused on he mentioned the prophecy multiple times and you know he focuses on the fact that Anakin was the chosen one it's something he's just very focused on particularly in Revenge of the Sith Mm -hmm. he can't seem to get past it and I don't know if that has anything to do with it Um, he's gone full Macbeth or what but he's he's focused on that that prophecy he even says you know to Anakin at one point he reminds Anakin that he's the hero yeah he uses that word specifically do we think that and that's something interesting too is this idea that it's the only time we really see Obi-Wan buy in to the more mystical end of the force he very much is into the organization of the Jedi and um but the the only part that he gets really into the deepness of the force is with that prophecy do we think he's a true believer in that or is that something he just is carrying on for Qui-Gon so because I, I I asked him I don't know necessarily so I think it started off with he was carrying it on for his mentor, but mm-hmm. I think he eventually adopts it himself because I think in a way you kind of have to, like if you're going to be doing this for this long, mm-hmm. you, you sort of have to believe or else, or else why are you doing all of this? Right. So I think it started off kind of as a, as a, as a commitment from his, his mentor to him. But I think if he didn't eventually, feel that way i i don't think he could have kept doing what he was doing and also you gotta realize like you know it's a prophecy but it's also something you can sort of see like the fact that he sees that anakin's midichlorian level is so much higher than everyone else's the fact that he can see him do things that no one else should do it begins to it begins to make you think oh maybe maybe this guy is the chosen one right like i think that's just Mm -hmm. a little bit different than if you were um than if it was something that you couldn't see progress in front of your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. And I think sometimes, too, maybe just on a more personal level, is that Obi-Wan knows Anakin so well now. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how can you, you know, just turn your back on someone like that? Yeah, and I think a quote that I found very interesting, he flat out tells uh, Qui-Gon... That the boy is dangerous. Yep, everyone. He should not be trained. All of them see the boy is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part when that ties back into that scene on Mustafar when he realizes that he may have been right all along, and that's why I think plays into as well the disgust he has for Darth Vader is. I don't know. I, I that's what I think the interesting thing of seeing the interaction between him and Darth Vader because I almost wonder if 
Darth Vader being this embodiment of evil is what Obi-Wan feared. It's this fruition that he bought into this thing so hard, but the reality was there from the beginning. That this brutality was a piece of Anakin that he ignored for so long um, that was just able to be used. Right. Uh, I mean, also, I think it's I, I think it's in Revenge of the Sith. I think it is. Yoda basically says like prophecies can be misread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I wonder if he just feels like he is uh he was you know somewhat hoodwinked by this by this quote prophecy where it turns out mm-hmm. that it was just it was misunderstood the whole time, and that and that by the, yeah. by training him he like. He start. He hit the first domino that knocked everything down by training him, mm-hmm. and I'm sure part of that is guilt on his part. You know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of that. I actually think that this could be a very very interesting series if they dig into some of that stuff. Yeah, and I wonder. I think I think I said this on an earlier podcast. I wonder if the big moment of the Obi Wan series is Obi-Wan learning that Darth Vader is Anakin. Right. Mm. Because that 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 was a huge soul-shattering piece of the Ahsoka storyline. Is when she learns that Vader is Anakin. Right. Um that's like a a very shaking realization and I wonder what that's going to be for Obi-Wan. That makes a lot of sense as as the sort of defining moment of the series. Mm. <clears throat> well, any other closing thoughts before we wrap this up? No. Is the rat tail or the braids <laughs> the hairstyle for a Padawan? Because they have both for some reason. Yeah, they have that like little nubby ponytail, and then the the like mm-hmm. the yeah, I guess both. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you get an option, one or the other. No, you. They, they, everyone takes yeah. both. It's oh 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 oh. Yeah, yeah. It's a they look. have that like they get that mullet that then you pull back into the tight pony, and what? then you have a braid off to the side. It's like, it's, it's a little bit um. Like a mix of backwater Alabama and Hasidic Jew. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah. That's the Jedi order for you. I was going to say, if that doesn't describe the Jedi, I don't know what does. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in two weeks with a review of the first, I guess it'll be three or four episodes of Obi Wan Kenobi. I look forward to watching them and discussing them with my friends. And remember, until next time, the Force will be with you always. Thank you.